We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. We're going to be looking at this passage that uh, Jake read to us, and it has to do with authority. We all like to be under authority, don't we? I've got a little grandson that was only about 15 months old, and I can tell you already, he does not like authority. He sure likes food when he wants it, and he likes a nice house and a mom and daddy that love him and uh, a papa and a nana that come and and, uh, play with him and do all kinds of things, but he doesn't like authority very much. We are not born into the world people who willingly, by nature, submit under authority. I heard a great testimony of a man one time, and he talked about his younger days, and he said, I could not stand somebody telling me what to do. I lived in a, in a household where my parents were always telling me what to do, and I couldn't stand it. When I went to school, my teachers always told me what to do, and I couldn't stand my teachers telling me what to do. The police in my town, I started to drive, and they wanted to tell me what to do, and I couldn't stand somebody telling me what to do. So I left home and joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> and part of his testimony was the change that God had made in his life to realize how important it is to have authority, proper authority, and to submit unto authority the way God teaches us to. Well, there is a battle in this passage that was read to us. There's a battle because they're vying for authority. If you've ever been asked this question, who's the boss? This morning, I have a friend here in the church, and he, in six weeks, he keeps reminding me by day almost, in six weeks, he will be 100 years old. Uh, Dante, a short Italian man that's so full of life, and he's just a wonderful man. And I said, Dante, you're almost 100. Would you tell me one of the greatest lessons you've learned about who your boss is? And he just did this, pointed right next to his wife and said, she's my boss. And I said, how long did it take you? 100 years, but you got it. Me and learned from that uh, lesson that Dante taught. Authority. How many times have you been shopping in a store and you wanted some information or you wanted to be treated the right way and you said, where's the the manager? I want to speak to the one in charge. Why? Because you know that they have authority. You know that they could possibly or probably, hopefully answer the questions that you have. And you know that you want your voice and your opinion to be heard by as high a person in that chain of command that you can. We all want to talk to the boss for different reasons. How many of you in your career, maybe in your early days, worked at a place and it wasn't clear who the boss was? That can be a lot of fun for your work days. But we're going to see in this passage here as I want to begin reading where Jake did in Mark chapter 11, verse 27. One of the greatest lessons I believe all of us can learn as young men and women, and we never stop learning this in our life, is Who is our authority? Who's the boss? The scripture said there in verse 7. Let me read to you, first of all, the definition. If you just look up authority, here's what you're going to hear. Authority is the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. It was not long with five children in my home that we knew who was in authority. My mom and my dad made that clear. Now, they were two World War II veterans. They had had a little bit of experience in that. We learned who the boss was. And we really learned who the boss was when my dad left home to go to work, and he said, don't let me hear from your mother 
that you have mistreated her in any way because when I get home, and he didn't have to finish that sentence, it was very clear who the bosses were in our family. So they have the power to give orders, make decisions, enforce obedience. Uh, and uh, it is also a person or organization having power or control in a particular, typ typically political, or an administrative sphere. sphere. The de de uh, definition of authority. Someone with the authority and responsibility to make decisions. Call the shots. One of the problems we're facing in our country that is on the newscasts and in our newspapers and on the, the, the news every moment is we've lost sight of who our boss is. We've lost the sight of true authority in our lives. Mark chapter 11 began there in verse 20. They came again to Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus has already been there. He's about to enter Jerusalem uh, and never, never leave except going outside the city because he's going to Calvary. And it says, as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Now, as far as the, the structure in the world in this situation, you remember Rome has occupied Israel. Israel is under their control right now. But the chief priests, elders, and the scribes are the leaders of the Jews. If on paper we ask who are the bosses, for the Jews it would be this crew here. The chief priests, the rulers, the elders, the scribes. They came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do your thing? To do these things. How many of you have ever been asked to show your credentials? You go someplace and maybe you're going to pick something up that's been ordered. Or you go to represent someone like an ambassador. And they say, well, show us your credentials. Who are you? Prove to us who you are. And that's what these chief priests and elders and scribes are doing. Jesus, who are you? Who sent you? And who gave you the authority, the right to do the things you're doing? Who gave you the permission and who gave you orders to say what you're saying? Now, that's kind of comical as we look at it, knowing who our Lord and Savior is. He is the co-creator of the universe. These very people are breathing breath into their their lungs because he is providing the power and the might and the resources to do that. Jesus has the power of life and death in his hands. He could command these people to be instantly obliterated and we'd never hear from them again. He is the supreme authority over all of the universe and yet this small group of people say, who are you? You don't impress us very much. Where'd you get your authority? Don't you just love it? Have you ever been in some of those circumstances? Is it okay to, to just like it when something works out the way it should? Have you ever been in a situation where somebody shows up and they may not look like the most important, they may not dress like the most important, they may not talk like the most important, but they really are someone of authority? I read something the other day about an, an older gentleman, <clears throat> excuse me, he was working in a store and he was just greeting people and saying, hello, how are you? Can I send you to what department you need? And he was coming in late, and his boss came to him after a few times and said, sir, can I ask you a question? Uh, in your career that you retired from to come to work for us here, if you came in 10 or 15 minutes late in the morning, uh, what happened? And he said, well, usually... One of my lieutenants came in and said, good morning, general, here's your coffee. 
People can appear like one way, but they actually can have authority that we don't realize. How much did Jesus have as far as being the boss? And they say, who gave you this authority? Well, Jesus in his miraculous teaching, perfecting, uh, wonderful way that he deals with his creation, uh, asked them a question. A good study in your scripture is to go through the Bible and see how many times Jesus asked someone a question. He did that often to reveal the, the intent of their heart. And he does that here. They began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question and you answer me. And then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. I'll make a deal with you here. You answer my question first and I'll answer your question. Jesus has a way of asking questions though that are a little difficult to answer. I heard the story, uh, a man was telling a story about four um, high school kids that they decided to play hooky one, one day. You probably heard this story. And uh, they made up their story and they said, now we're gonna tell the teacher when we get back to school that the reason we were out of school yesterday is we had a flat tire. And they got all their story straight and it was all good. And so the next day, the teacher who had been around the block a few times said, I understand all four of you were gone yesterday. What was the reason why that you were not in school? Well, we had a flat tire. And the teacher said, okay, well, you missed a test. So she put one student in that corner in the front, one student in that corner in the front, one student in this corner in the back, and one student in this corner in the back, and said, you four do this makeup test. There's only one question on the test. Which tire was flat? She knew how to ask a question. Well, Jesus knows how to ask a question that reveals the heart and intent of these people. I'll ask you this one question, you tell me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall, say, shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John, John the Baptist, to have been a real prophet. See what he did? He asked them a puzzling question that put them on the spot. If they answered one way, they'd have to be accountable for their answer. If they answered another way, they'd have to be accountable for that answer. It's not a really good idea to try to get into a verbal uh, contest with Jesus, but that's what they were doing. If we say he's from uh, heaven, then, then They'll say, why didn't you believe? If we say he's from men, we're afraid of these people because they all thought he was a prophet. And they said to Jesus, answering, they said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Uh, Jesus doesn't have to tell someone that he's a boss. The Bible says in another place, wisdom is justified of her children. That very simply means the truth is gonna win. The truth will always show up. And Jesus, who he is, is going to show up to all these people. As Jesus often did in the next chapter, verse 1, it said he began to speak to them in parables. A parable is a, is a truth that is in a story form. Uh, Jesus always, always spoke in a common language for the people. Uh, I think that we need to be very careful that we do not speak in a language that the people don't understand. Now, there's a spiritual Word and a spiritual truth that can only be revealed by God, but a great uh, uh, attribute of a godly teacher is to make the truth of the gospel clear 
and make it simple. I know uh, you advertised and promoted the two seven groups earlier in our, in our announcements. Great, uh, great things to go through. My wife and I did that years and years ago, and it was a, a really good time with one of our elders here in the church, and uh, we have good memories of that. One of the things that I try to encourage people uh, when they say, well, how do I give my testimony? I, w- I encourage them to share your testimony like you were with an, uh, with an eight-year-old. Like you were sitting with an eight-year-old to tell them what happened in your life. You don't have to use big words. You don't have to use lofty ideas. You don't have to use a lot of theological jargon. Just tell them you are one way, and by the work of Jesus in your life, you're another way now. Jesus here begins to teach them in parables, as he often did, and he tells them one that is a reference, I believe, to Isaiah 5. We won't turn back there, but Isaiah 5 describes Israel like a vineyard. And it talks about how God planted that vineyard and he loved that vineyard and he built a wall around that vineyard. Why do you build a wall around the vineyard? It's to keep some of the bad stuff out and some of the good stuff in. I'll never forget when my wife and I first got married, we lived a little ways out in the country. I was gonna plant a big garden, I did that. When you're out in the country, you have some things around your house that you don't have at other places. Is that right, Kim and Cheryl? You have some, some critters that show up sometimes. Uh, one evening, right before the sun went down, the coyotes were, started howling. And, and when there's 10 or 12 of them in a little, little pack, they can make some noise. And I'll never forget Holly saying, what is that? And I said, oh, don't worry about it. The, that's coyotes. They're way out in the pasture. You'll never see them. Uh, they'll never be around here. Well, I accidentally left something I shouldn't have in, a, in the, the garage of this old home. And the garage still had a dirt floor. And the next morning, there was not an inch where there were not little coyote paw prints in there coming after what I left in the garage. And that was one of the first times I saw my wife call me on the carpet and say, I thought you said we would never see those things close to us. Here, uh, in that same place, uh, I built that garden and I put, a, I put a, a wire fence about two and a half feet tall around that garden. I said, I'm gonna protect our garden from all the animals. My wife and I drove home after being somewhere one evening after dark and the headlights shined on that garden and there were about 22 rabbits in there eating everything that I'd planted in that garden. That uh, little fence I built around that was their exercise. It was their jazzercise, man. They just jumped over that. Ashley, you'd like that. They thought it was good. They jumped back over it and back over it. You know, it didn't bother them at all. Being the farmer that I was, But God planted a vineyard and he called it Israel. And he built a wall around it to keep the bad guys out and the good things in. He planted it. He watered it. He fed it. He fertilized it. He took care of his vineyard. And he wanted it to bear good fruit and the plants to do so well. But they didn't. And Jesus is going to tell this parable here. He began to speak to them. A man planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a vat under the wine press, and built a tower. He's showing them this vineyard is valuable. He's giving time, effort, and resources to do it right. He's looking for a good vineyard, and he's taking whatever necessary steps it takes to make sure sure it's done well. He's invested in this. He built a tower around it and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Now notice I want to ask you this question. Who owns the vineyard? 
He's renting it out to someone like sharecroppers, vine growers, but do they own the vineyard? Do they own the land? Do they own the crop, the harvest? No, they don't. The landowner owns the vineyard. He goes on a journey, giving them the opportunity to do the work in there. And it says, at the harvest time, he sent a slave. That's properly translated that. A lot of our versions of scripture put a servant in there. And that's okay, just as long as you know, this kind of servant is owned by the master. And that's not a, a negative connotation. We are a slave to Jesus Christ. I am willingly a slave because he bought and paid for me. We are bought with a price. And it says that he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. Is that an unreasonable expectation? He's built the wall. He's built a, a wine press. He's got a vat. He has got everything paid for it all. He's got people hired. They're going to get paid for the work done in the vineyard. Is it unreasonable for the man who owns it all, the boss, to get some of the harvest? We would all say, of course not. That's his. It's generous of him to share those crops with other people. But look what it said. He sent the slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Now, did the landowner get what he was after? No. He's received nothing that he should have received as the one who owned that. Did his servant, his representative get treated rightfully? Absolutely not. They beat him and they sent him away. I want to make one point right here. It says that it's the time of harvest. I think that's important to realize the work had already been done. It was time there should be fruit ready to reap. And when Jesus Christ came to this earth. He came first, the scripture says, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If you've been in Israel before, it's a beautiful trip. And if you've been on that, that bus, most likely when you start going up to Jerusalem and you go up to Jerusalem, they started uh, asking you to sing that song, Oh, Jerusalem. And it's a moving time because you're going to that place where so much of history uh, began and, and it's going to culminate one day. Jesus, the Bible says, when he was coming into Jerusalem, began to weep. He said, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you like a mother hen does her chicks, but you were unwilling. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited one that the Israelites have been waiting for for centuries. They should have embraced him and said, finally, Yeshua our Messiah, the Christ, he's here. But the Jews rejected him. And Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because they didn't recognize the time of their visitation. Oh, how sad that is. I've got a funeral to do in the morning and I pray with all my heart. I believe this woman knew and loved the Lord. But I do some, Drew does some, and some others here do some that we're not sure. There is nothing more important that if Jesus was walking up toward the town you lived in, he wouldn't weep over you. But he'd say, welcome home. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy and the rest of your master. I've been waiting on 
you to get here. I've got your room already. And oh, come here. Let me present you to the Father. Father, this is my brother or sister. They've done well. Can't you imagine what that's going to be like for Christians to go to be with the Lord in heaven? I don't want Jesus weeping over me. I want him with his arms open wide saying, come on in. Israel. He, the, the landowner wanted some produce and he sent somebody to get some and they beat him and sent it back. It was time Israel should have made, had fruit. They should have made a harvest. And this parable is talking about Israel when God came looking for a faithful people. They had rejected him. And Israel walked apart from God for hundreds of years. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. I want to say one thing about violence. John the Baptist was baptizing people out there in the Jordan of River, and, and many people came to him. Some of the Pharisees came to him, some of the common people. But did you know some of the soldiers came to John's baptism also? And they said, what about us, John? And he said, don't do any violence to any man. Now, he's not telling a soldier to not protect someone who's being harmed. That's not violence. When a police officer, our military, stands in harm's way for you and me, that is not what he's talking about there. Don't do violence. We don't need to forget that men, and, men that, that love this country and women that supported them in all different ways uh, stormed Omaha Beach one day so that a bad man who wanted to rule the world, who cared nothing about God's people, he executed millions of them, and he didn't care anything about our people that where we live either. But men and women were willing to lay down their lives and put their life on the line. We don't need to forget that. <clears throat> Young men and women, when you go to school, college age, when you go to school and some professor stands up and says, the Holocaust is a myth, it didn't really happen. D don't believe them, don't believe them. Greater love, Jesus said, is no one than this. <coughs> Excuse me, that a man would lay down his life, a woman would lay down her life for their friend. I love America. All the good things about our country are because of God. And America's always sent people ready to go give their life for somebody else that was in trouble. But he said, don't do violence. That's where somebody in that authority takes it upon themselves to want to hurt somebody. They want to harm somebody, not in protecting the innocent, but in doing that to show their power, their force. The Roman government was, they were treacherous. Roman crucifixion was one of the most hideous forms of capital punishment the world has ever known. So they took him and did violence. We see violence all over our land. Men, uh, it is a honorable thing to answer with a soft answer sometime. But they're, they're screaming at me and they're, they're yelling at me and they're cursing me. I understand that they did that to Jesus too. Violence. Oh, be careful. A violent man that will hurt someone will hurt their wife and hurt their child and will hurt others that are innocent oftentimes. In verse 4 it said, again he, that's the landowner, sent another slave, another servant, and they wounded him in the head. Notice it got a little bit worse. They beat the first one up and sent him away with anything. He sent another one. He said, let's make this more clear. And they hit him with a head wound. A head wound is intended to be a mortal wound. 
They hit, they hit him in the head, wounded him, and treated him shamefully. And the landowner, he sent another, and, the, and that one they killed. They said, all right, he hadn't got the message yet. We only beat the first one. We hit the other one in the head and wounded him, sent him away. We're going to kill this one. This landowner will get the message now. That parable goes on to say, and so with many others, beating some and killing others. Do you see anything the landowner of the vineyard has done wrong? Has he done anything wrong? And yet these people who are tending to the vineyard have taken it upon themselves to have authority. They become their own bosses. And I want to tell you, young men and ladies and older men and ladies alike, we need to learn the lesson of what it means to be under authority. And then children need to learn it early. They're under the authority of their parents. We're the under, under the authority of our teachers when we go to school. How many of you were raised, you get in trouble at school and you get in trouble at home? My goodness, good, good for your parents, good for your parents. I got in trouble in the second grade and I knew it was going to be in the newspaper, on the radio. I knew there were messengers sent ahead to tell my mom before I got home from school. I was scared to death of what was going to happen. Now, there can be a bad teacher. There can be a bad police officer. There can be a bad military person. There can be a bad any person in authority. That's not what we're talking about. We need to know what it is and to learn the lesson of respecting authority. I was driving a little bit over the speed limit the other night. I know that shocks you. And I didn't know why that man with those colorful lights on his vehicle was right behind me until... He made it clear he wanted me to pull over <laughs> and talk to him for a little bit. And uh, this is one of the few times in my life that the police officer, he might have had a bad day, he might have had some people not acting right, but he was a little bit short with me. You know what I wanted to tell him? I wanted to tell him, officer, you're not going to find a person on this planet that's going to treat you with any more respect. I promise you that. But I thought about what kind of days he might have um, how he's been treated by some. We need to respect authority every way that we can. Those of you who are going to lead as you grow older or you're in a position of authority right now, if you can't be under authority, you can't lead with authority well either. Learn that lesson and it'll bless you all the days of your life. Who's Jesus talking about? Well, the landowner's God. The vineyard is Israel. The Heart, the people who are working, the vine growers, are the chief priests, the elders. These are the leaders of Israel. And who are the servants, the slaves that are sent there? That's Jeremiah and Isaiah and Zechariah. That's the prophets of old and John the Baptist. Those were the ones that came over and over again saying, turn back to the Lord. Isaiah begs with him, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they'll be red like crimson, they'll be white as snow. Come, let us reason together with the Lord. Samuel says, come and let, us, let me rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord. Those servants that the landowner sent, that God sent, are all those prophets calling Israel, come on home. God loves you. You've rejected him, but he'll come with open arms. He'll welcome you, Israel. Return to him and he will return to you. The words of the prophet just echo throughout the, the centuries. Those are the servants that came to check on the harvest. And the Jews killed them. They persecuted them. 
They threw him in dungeons. They stoned him. Finally, Jesus tells the end of the story. In verse 4, he sent another slave. They did that. They killed him. They sent others, many others, beating some and killing others. He had one more to send. I want to ask you the question. If you were about the fifth or sixth in a row and you'd heard that the ones that before you didn't come back, would you have signed up for that duty? Just sign me up. I want to go. What happened to the five that went before me? Oh, we won't talk about that right now. But you know, he said, I got one more to send. And who was it? It was Jesus. He said, how he had one more to send, a beloved son. Now, those of you who are old enough to have a person in the military in your family, maybe a son or daughter, God bless you. And we pray for you. I can't imagine. Was it hard enough for your parents to be sending uh, you off to school or the GAP program or sending, you know, all those first, uh, first day pictures? I don't care how big that senior in high school is. To his mama, he looks like a little bitty boy going off to the wilderness somewhere. Well, how hard was it for God to send Jesus for a people who didn't love him? who are going to spit in his face and pull his beard and whip his back and reject him and, and lie and curse. And how hard was it for God to send his son to pay the price of sin for you and me? Got one more to send, he said, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them saying, they will respect my son. They will show the respect of authority to the son of God. Surely they will. But those vine growers said to one another, this is the heir, come let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And see, that's what they wanted all along. They wanted to be God. They wanted authority. Same thing Adam and Eve listened to the devil. Has God said that if you eat of that tree, you're gonna die? Has God said, he puts doubt in their mind, you're not gonna die. He lies to them and they swallow the lie. You can be God. You can have authority. You don't have to be under the command of the one who created you. Satan's game plan is really not innovative. It's the same thing he did from the beginning. He wants to convince us of a lie to get us to do anything but worship and serve our Lord in heaven. Let's send the son. They'll respect my beloved son. And the people said, no, let's kill him and we'll get the inheritance. So they took and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Jesus was thrown out of Israel, carrying his own cross to a place called Calvary. And he breathed his last breath for you and me. Did you know he asked the Father, is there any other way to do this? Is there any other way where mankind can be forgiven of their sins and salvation be bought and paid for? Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. That's the man Jesus crying out to his Father. The only time it's recorded in the Scripture where the Father told his son no is God said no. I'm not going to take it away. The only way it can be fulfilled is you drink that cup, the cup of death. And Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus, who is our authority, and his word that we hold in our hands here tonight that is our authority, has the authority to back up what he said because he was under authority to his father. They killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Verse 9 says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? You don't have to turn back there, but real quickly, Matthew records that when Jesus asked that question of the chief priests, elders, and rulers, what do you think the, the, the owner of the vineyard is going to do when he shows up? 
They answer, and I want to read to you Matthew 21, 41. They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at their proper seasons. Those Jews spoke up and said, when that landowner gets there, he is going to string them up. He's going to execute them. He'll take away that vineyard for them and they'll get other people who will do right in that vineyard. They didn't realize as the words were coming out of their mouth, that was a judgment that they, it was against themselves and they were going to face that. And Israel would know that very thing. He will come and destroy the vine growers and he'll give the vineyard to others. Men and women, I don't know if there's any Jewish people who are from Jewish descent here tonight. Most of us probably are Gentiles. And we need to be grateful that God made a way for you and I to be part of the chosen people of God. We're those other ones that got brought in to take care of the vineyard because the Jews rejected him. Jews are gonna be brought back in. Those who are gonna respond to Christ eventually and be saved are gonna be joined back in. But you and I got to be the next caretakers of the vineyard. And then he quoted the scripture. And I, I just wanna hold up my Bible for a second because if I've learned anything in my years, I have great respect for this Bible. Not the publishing company, they're okay. Not the leather, or does it say imitation leather? It may be imitation. Not the gold on the edge, not the print. But I've got great respect for this is my authority. This is my Supreme Court. This is my government. And it doesn't make any difference what they do at the White House in Washington or anywhere else. It doesn't make any difference what they do in our, our institutions of higher learning. It does not make any difference. This is our authority. This is what we are going to be judged by every word that was spoken by Jesus and out of his mouth and those prophets that God gave. In this parable, have you not read the scripture? Jesus always quoted the scripture because he was the word of God. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about before the Lord and it's marvelous in our eyes. The, the man is God. The vineyards Israel, the vine growers of the chief priests, Jewish leaders who rejected him, the servants of the Old Testament prophets, prophets and John the Baptist, and the destruction of Israel happened in A.D. 70, just like this parable said. The vineyard's going to be taken away from you, Israel, and another people are going to be given that vineyard, and you're going to be destroyed. And it took place just like Jesus said in this story. And finally in this passage, and they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them, and so they left him and went away. Remember, they could not take Jesus until he lowered the shield, until he allowed himself to be taken. No man took Jesus' life. He willingly gave his life, and they had no power. He could have executed them just with a thought until Jesus lowered the shield of his deity and let them crucify him. My mother died when I was 16 years old. My dad was more or less an absent parent. Some of you might have known that. He loved us in his way, but he didn't know anything about our lives, what we were going through. He had no idea probably what college I went to, nothing. He was just not involved. And I'll never forget, my mom had been our discipler and the one that shared Christ with us. And I'm 18 years old, driving in that car I was telling you about, and I'm thinking, I'm free, free at last, free at last. But then it dawned on me, 
I don't like this freedom that I'm thinking about right now. And I had to make a decision. I could have gone and done anything that God allowed me unless he stopped me. My dad wouldn't know. My mom was gone. I didn't have older brothers and sisters looking after me. I had to make a decision whether or not I would be under authority. Who's going to be my boss? And only because of God's mercy. And I think answering my mother's prayers even a lot long after she was gone. Did God hold on to me in those years? And he gave me respect for authority. And I thank him for that. I saw a bumper sticker you've probably heard a lot, uh, seen before. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. That's pretty cool. Well, my boss is a resurrected Messiah who conquered death and sin and evil and Satan and died on that old rugged cross, was buried in the grave, raised himself from the dead, and he's coming back for his church one of these days. That's who my boss is. And I gladly bow before him and the authority that he and his word have over my life. I want to close just asking you for prayer. It was hard for me to watch something this week. Those people in Afghanistan, and I'm not being political and but we've got a little 15-month-old grandbaby that I got to play with the last two days. He wore me out. But when he was reaching like this, when Papa was leaving, I tell you what, my heart was just full. When I see those parents taking their little ones, like little Luca, and throwing them over a wire fence, hoping that an American soldier would catch them and somehow save their lives because they know that they're probably going to die and be beheaded in the country they live in. And I hear people talking bad about our country. I tell you what, it's almost all I can stand. We need to pray for Afghanistan, for those Christians that are over there that are crying out to Jesus right now, for those innocent people that aren't doing what those bad folks want to do over there. We need to pray for Haiti. We've been complaining the last few days. Sure is hot here. Well, Haiti had that huge earthquake. Many people lost their lives as they did several years ago. Oh, folks, God's our authority. He's the boss. May we, as the way America started, say, I gladly bow to my king. I gladly bow. In the presence of my king, he's my boss. He's my authority. And you know what? He'll bless you for it. He'll answer your prayers. And he'll be with you no matter what happens in our country or the countries around the world or the, it happens to you and your family for the rest of your life. He's my boss. And he's yours too. Let's pray. Joel, as you come ready to lead us in our closing hymn and you bring your team, Father, we just bow before you thanking you for the opportunity to look at this great passage of your Bible. You're our boss. You're our authority. We gladly submit ourselves unto you. Guide us, direct us, protect us, enlighten us to more of your word. Give us power and strength to be faithful to you when I look at these uh, college men and women, hold on to them regardless of what 
is taught, Lord. If anything's contrary to you, let them reject it. Hold fast to you and pray for those that are teaching that, that they would repent. These in the GAP program, we're so grateful for what they're about to embark upon. Lord, let, them, let their, their lives just blossom right in front of our eyes as these young men and women become stronger men and women than they ever knew they could be. And I pray for the churches around our land, Lord. Help us to have grace and mercy and strength to be the church in this hour. I pray for our country. God, bless America again. Make her good again so she can be great again. And I pray for those suffering people in Afghanistan, Haiti, and other places around the world that we might not have heard about. Those little babies being thrown over the fence. God, would you catch them? Would you protect them? Because you love them. In Jesus' name, amen.